good morning, everyone. First of all, didn't our, our students and the strings and everybody do just a fabulous job? Thanks be to God. Uh, before we dive into God's Word, three things I need to share with you. The first is, uh, last Sunday, uh, we received an offering of $376,000 toward our goal of $5.5 million finest hour. Thanks be to God. Yeah, that's really great. Um, now, we're not there yet. We still need about $520, no, $562,000 in over and above giving before the end of the year to kind of be where we need to be. So be praying. Uh, if you've not yet given, <laughs> time is running out. And uh, I really hope that it'll take a miracle. But hey, our God's in a miracle business, and I believe we can get there. Uh, second thing I want to share with you is next Sunday is going to be a little different. Uh, we will do the message very early, so if you, you're used to coming about 15 minutes late, you're going to walk in in the middle of the sermon. Uh, the reason we're doing this is because we're going to have what we call open baptism. It's a time for people to get the have the opportunity to come and be baptized. Already today, we've had three people come and say they're ready to be baptized. Uh, they want to take that next step. And so if that's your next step, be praying about that, and I hope that you'll be baptized. Here's the last thing. Uh, all of you have seen the news coming out of Kentucky, the devastation there, uh, and the tornadoes that uh, hit in Arkansas, Illinois, Indiana. I lived in Kentucky for 12 years, kind of hits really close to home. Uh, our church is going to provide uh, an offering uh, for relief efforts through money that we have. But I want us to take a moment to this morning and pray for folks in those places who have lost so much here at Christmas time. Would you join me? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, um, first of all, thank you that we have resources to give. And I pray that they will do much good. But we pray for those who are just waking up this morning and their homes are gone, their churches are gone, their businesses are gone. And God, they've got to be just devastated. And we know this is not the first time you have faced this. And we do not understand why there are storms, and I'm sure these people are asking why. I know there's families that are grieving because they've had loved ones that were killed. Father, all we can ask is that you would be with them and that the people who are going to serve would be your hands and feet and that somehow people might know, even in the midst of this tragedy, when they're wondering why, they will feel your love. We, we pray they'll feel your love and that you would walk with them through the valley of the shadow of death. Help us, Father, even when we face those times ourselves, to always turn to you. When we cannot understand your plan, help us to always trust your hand. Now, open our souls to your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're in a message series uh, entitled More Than a Baby, and it rests on this one big idea. Message series started last week. Let me give you the big idea for the whole series, what we're talking about this month, and it's very simply this, that the story of Jesus doesn't start in the manger. Now, we've just sung a lot of great Christmas songs, great Christmas carols. This is, this is the, the hopeful time of year, but the story of Jesus doesn't start there. We believe the story of Jesus has four components, and we talked about the first component last week, Jesus who was before is. And if you were not here last week, go back, listen to that message. And then there's the second component of Jesus' life, and that is Jesus the Savior. And we're going to talk about that next week. And I know I'm going to confuse you because we're going out of order, right? 
And then the third component is Jesus the Supreme. Now, I know when some of you hear that, you think Jesus the Supreme, and you're thinking about the 60s musical group. That means you're old. Okay, so that's not what we're talking about. Well, we're going to talk about that this morning. And then the last one, which we'll talk about on Christmas Eve, is Jesus the coming victor. Jesus the coming victor. So today's big idea is Jesus is the supreme. And that means he is in charge. Jesus is in charge of everything, and he's especially in charge of his church. Now, why does this matter? I want to give you some statistics, and then I want to tell you some stories. First, the statistics. Um, according to the Gallup organization, church membership in North America has dropped in, from in 2000, year 2000, 70% of adults in the United States claimed church membership. According to the most recent survey done in 2021, now only 49% of American adults claim church membership, which means less than half of the American population claims a membership in a local church. Again, according to Gallup, Americans now attend church much less frequently. Church attendance in 2015 um, uh, was, uh, or let me say, church attendance in 2020 has dropped 7% from 2015. Let me me say that one more time to be clear. That's a problem with statistics, isn't it? Um, In 2020, church attendance had dropped 7% from the same measurement in 2015, and that was pre-COVID. So what's happened since COVID? Church attendance has fallen off the cliff. Um, 38%, according to Gallup, of, and according to Barna, uh, of all ministers, 38% of all ministers are on the verge of resigning. They've thought about it in the last year or quitting the ministry altogether. But here's the one that really gets to me. According to Tony Morgan and the Unstuck Group, in this most recent quarter, from July through September 30th, baptisms across surveyed churches were down 49%. That means conversions. It means people are not deciding to follow Jesus. So I was talking with someone who used to attend our church and serve regularly. They were very involved. And now they only attend sporadically. And I said, what's happened? And this person said to me, well, just to be honest, I got fed up with church people. I got fed up with church people. Church people, what they post on social media, how they treat each other, how they treat people they disagree with. I'm just tired of church people. And then this person looked at me and said, no, not Alice Drive people. Which, of course, made me want to say, then why did you quit coming to our church? But they had a point. I could see it. I could understand. They said, I'm just so fed up with church people. I just don't want anything to do with it. So I'm talking to a friend of mine. He lives in another city, and he said, you know, 10 years ago, our church had 1,000 people. Now we have 80. He said, and the average age of our church is 85. He said, I think we're in trouble. I said, yeah, I think you are too. I was talking with a man who has quit church. He doesn't go at all, not even Christmas and Easter. And I said, well, what's up with that? Why is that? And he said, well, just to be honest, every time I went to church, there was a war. People were fighting over the music, or they were fighting over the preacher, or they were fighting over what we were going to do, and how we were going to paint this room, and not paint that room, and what color the carpet wanted to be. And I just got sick of it. I got sick of going to church, and everything being a battle. So I quit. 
And it is true. I've, I've actually checked the New Testament. Nowhere in the New Testament is the church given permission to have a war. The church is never given permission to do that. At a time when the world needs the hope of Jesus, the church is struggling. So what about our church? I don't think we can talk about this without us pausing and saying, well, how are we doing? Well, I actually think we're a pretty healthy church. I think what God has created at Alice Drive is needed more than ever. But I think our health, just like your health, needs to be regularly checked. We need to check and see, are we healthy? So what does all this have to do with Jesus being the supreme? Jesus' people, the church, need to remember who is in charge. And that's really what we're going to discover as we look at one verse of Scripture. Uh, This is going to be found in the first chapter of the book of Colossians. So if you have a Bible, turn to Colossians. It's right after Philippians. Um, So you'll turn there, look at chapter 1. Last week we looked at verses 15, 16, 17. Today, one verse, verse 18, but it is a densely packed verse. Listen to the Word of God. And He, that is Jesus, is the head of the church, the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Now to me, this verse poses two big questions. Here's the first big question it poses. If Jesus is to be supreme over the church, what's the church supposed to be? And this verse contains three key ideas about what the church is supposed to be. So let's unwrap them. The first thing the church is supposed to be is the body. Over and over, Paul uses this image. The church is the body of Christ. What does that mean? Well, if you think about it, bodies are designed to live and to move. I go for an annual annual physical every year. The doctor always does the same thing takes that cold stethoscope, puts it on my chest, sees if I'm alive, if my heart's beating, and if I'm breathing. Next thing he does is he takes that little hammer and he taps me and sees if my leg moves. Because the body is designed to live and to move. And the reason that we are described as the body is because churches are meant to be alive and we are meant to be in motion. We're meant to feed the hungry. We're meant to care for the poor. We are meant to shelter the homeless. We are meant to visit those in prison, comfort those who are sick, and tell people the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, I think at Alice Drive, the good news is we try to do these things. We want to be a church that doesn't just talk about things. We want to be a church that does things. And we don't always get it right. Do you know they pay major league baseball players millions of dollars to strike out? Because they believe they'll hit the ball 30% of the time. I think we get it right more than 30% of the time. Which means if our church was a major league baseball player, we'd be worth millions. What are we? We are the body of Christ, living and emotion. Here's the second key idea. We are the church. Now this is the Greek word ekklesia. If you've hung around church, you may have heard that word. 
It means a group of people who've gathered and we have made a decision and now we're taking action. We're actually acting on the decision we have made. The church is a group of people who've made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. And now everything we do is pointed in that direction. We are taking action because of what we have decided. First church I pastored. 25 of the bravest people God ever put on the face of the earth. That church had a baptistry. And we weren't baptizing anybody. And I, I smelled something funny one day. And I realized we had a dead rat in the baptistry. Because we were Baptists, what did we do? We called a meeting. And we gathered up and we said, hey, there's a dead rat in the baptistry. What are we supposed to do? And a couple of men said, don't worry, Pastor, we'll take care of it. I was glad to know that. And so we finished the meeting. And these guys walked out, got in their trucks, drove off. And I'm thinking, they could have just taken the rat with them. And I knew they would come back the next day, right? And they would take care of the rat. But they didn't come back the next day or the next day or the next week. And the smell was getting really bad. So finally, I realized I had to take care of the rat. I got my leather gloves. I went in there. I got the rat. I gave him a Christian burial because he'd been baptized. Why is it that we would rather talk about rats than take the rats out of the baptistry? Because it's easier. And I think churches spend way too much time talking about what we ought to do and even saying, well, somebody ought to do something when God has called us to be the body that's decided for Jesus and we're going to take action. And the good news is at Alice Drive, I see this happening. You realize these teenagers... Our students, they got here early on a Sunday morning. Do you know how hard it is to get teenagers up? They got here early to practice rehearse for worship. That's amazing. They showed up. Fifteen members show up early. I'm so grateful for life group leaders who show up early. I'm really grateful for those who show up early and hurt those two-year-olds around. I'm grateful for those who show up early and they make sure that people are cared for and they're loved. We had people show up early yesterday to build a ramp because we are people who've decided for Jesus and we're showing up and we're taking action. Now here's the third key idea. What does it mean to be church? Jesus is described as the firstborn of the dead. Now we're going to deal with this a little more in the second part of the message. And you may remember, we talked about it a little bit last time. But in this context, what it signifies is that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And that means all of us who are his followers, we now live with the hope of resurrection. It means we do not fear death. It means we can live in confidence. My mentor, Kenny Callahan, said, we are the Easter people. We're not the Good Friday people. Now, Good Friday's important. Don't misunderstand that Jesus died for our sins. That really matters. He paid the price. But listen, that's not where the story stops. It goes on. Jesus is resurrected. Do you remember the old hymn, I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living no matter what men may say. 
the hope of all who seek him, the help of all who find. None other is so loving, so good, and so kind. Okay, that's a place for an amen, people. Let's try this again. Okay, we're going to try this again. Do you remember the old hymn? (laughs) I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living no matter what men may say. The hope of all who seek him, the help of all who find. None other is so loving, so good, and so kind. Oh, good. We're going to have to strengthen the caffeine and the coffee. See, because I've been to churches, and you have to. I've been to churches where hope left the building a long time ago. And they're not living in resurrection hope. They're not living without fear. They're so afraid. They're so afraid. Churches are so afraid to do anything. I'd rather us do something for Jesus and maybe not get it 100% right than talk it to death. We're the Easter people. And I want to celebrate you as a church. You have done more, dreamed more, lived in more hope, given sacrificially than I could have ever imagined or ever dreamed possible. One of the greatest compliments that was ever given to our church happened when, uh, I'll just go ahead and say it, when the old country club, when the old country club was trying to raise money, Do you know what they said? Somebody told me this. They said, well, if Alice Drive can raise money, I think we ought to be able to as well. Yes. Don't you think God's people ought to set the standard for a community? What would happen if we did? All right. So what does it mean for us to be church? It means we're moving for Jesus. We're the body. It means we've decided and we're acting for Jesus. We're the church. And we're Easter people, the firstborn of the dead. So that's the answer to the first big question, what does it mean for us to be church? Now, the second question to consider that this one verse lays before us is this. What does it mean for Jesus to be supreme over the church? What does it mean for Jesus to be supreme over the church? This week, phone call came in to our office. My assistant, Kelly, answered the phone voice on the other end of the phone said, I want to speak to the man in charge at Alice Drive. I want to speak to the big hog himself, Clay Smith. Kelly said, excuse me, you don't refer to our pastor as the big hog. You know, he is a pastor, man of God, community leader, scholar. And the man on the other end of the line said, well, I was going to tell him I'm going to give half a million dollars to finest hour. And Kelly said, just a minute, I think I hear the big pig rooting around in his office. (laughs) Okay, that didn't really happen, okay? (laughs) But it's just a really good story. And when I did, they have somebody here, whoop, whoop, which is what happened in the first service too, which is kind of amazing. Oh, I hate to disappoint you. No, nobody's called. All right. But I've heard it said, about churches in town. I've heard it said about our church. Well, that's Clay Smith's church. No, it's not. I, I've had somebody say, well, I, I tried going to that church, but I found out that wasn't Jesus's church. That was Deacon Bob's church. No, it's not. Unless Jesus is not really in charge. When we say Jesus is supreme, what we mean is this. He gets the last word. 
He makes the call, not us. So, into the first question, what does it mean to be church? Three key ideas. In the second question, what does it mean for Jesus to be supreme? There are four key ideas, all packed in this one verse. Here is the first key idea. He is the head of the body. What does that mean? It means, first of all, Jesus is the source for the church. If there is no Jesus, there is no church. You can have services, you can have ministries, you can have programs, but if Jesus isn't there, it's not a church. It also means that Jesus provides direction just like your brain provides direction for your body. The church cannot think or speak or act on the truth without Jesus, which means every church must ask, what does Jesus want? How does he want us to act? What is our mission? How do we spend his money? How do we build a building for his work? He is the head. The second key idea about Jesus being supreme is that he is the beginning. There was no church in the Old Testament. There was no church back then. There were the people of God, the Israelites, and God was working in non-Israelite people, but the church begins with Jesus and his 12 disciples. And Jesus says the key is the confession of Peter. You remember this, Matthew 16, verses 15 through 18. And he, that is Jesus, asked, what about you? Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. This confession that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the one anointed by God to come into the world so that sins can be forgiven and evil can be broken, the one who rose from the dead to give us hope and life, that Jesus is the Son of God, he is God in the flesh. That is the confession upon which the church rests. The church doesn't rest on Peter. It rests on the rock that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And let me tell you, Jesus is a mighty big rock. The reason we have a great big rock out in front of the Loring Mill campus is to remind us he's the rock. 1956. When this church began, the first sermon was preached by Dr. W.R. McClinn, the pastor at First Baptist Church of Sumter. And he preached on this passage. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, on this rock I will build my church. And as long as this church exists, let us agree that Jesus is the bedrock of our faith and the bedrock of our church. The church begins and ends with Jesus. Now let me give you the third key idea about what it means to be Jesus, what it means for Jesus to be the supreme of the church. He is the firstborn among the dead. Now we talked about this last week. Paul used the same word, firstborn, to describe Jesus as the firstborn of all creation. What does it mean? It means two things. It means sequence, Jesus comes first, but it also means that Jesus has legal standing. We talked about the law of primogeniture, that last week Jesus had the authority of God given to him 
to be able to create the world and to save the world. But this week it's something else. This time it's firstborn of the dead. Jesus has the right to make a contractual promise to us that we who follow him will be raised from the dead. Now this is a little strange to understand, I know. So I'm going to explain it to you the best I can the way I understand it. Scholars disagree, uh, different finer points, but this is the general idea. First of all, when you die, you go to heaven. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is good news. You die, you go to heaven, follower of Jesus. But Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, all of us who are in heaven, if we're in heaven, uh, we come back with him. And then there's going to be this moment. And it's a little strange to understand, but just hang with me. There's this moment when you're going to be reunited with your old body. Now, there may not be much left. It may just be a few molecules Jesus has to reassemble. But he's God. He can do that. And then you're going to be resurrected from the dead. Even those lost at sea are going to rise out up of the ocean. Why? Why does Jesus want to do it this way? Because Jesus wants you to have the thrill of resurrection. Because resurrection is as cool as it gets. I mean, do you think on Easter Sunday when Jesus rose from the dead, he kind of went, oh, oh, that hurts. Oh, that hurts. Do you think that's the way he got up Easter Sunday morning? I know that's the way you get up. No, I think Jesus got up and he said, boy, it feels great to be alive again. And he burst out of that tomb. It's going to be an amazing resurrection experience. And Jesus wants you to have it. And that means you don't have to be afraid of death. You don't have to be afraid of destruction. You don't have to be afraid of chaos. You don't have to live a defeated life because Jesus has already won. And because he's the firstborn of the dead, we get to share in his resurrection. Which reminds me of another song. Now, that's a clue. Don't you remember this song? Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know who holds the future. Life is worth the living just because he lives. I'm so glad you were paying attention. Are you living in resurrection power? Are you going around hunched over by life? All right, here's the last key idea. In everything, he might have the supremacy. Now, what does it mean to be supreme? Well, it means you're number one. It means you're first. But Paul does an interesting thing here. He doesn't just say Jesus is supreme. He actually adds the definite article. Jesus is the supreme. In other words, there may be other winners, but there's nobody who ever won like Jesus. It means that there's nobody else who gets to go first. It means there's nobody else whose opinion matters. Which means we have to recognize if Jesus is supreme, we aren't. My opinion, my tastes, they don't matter. Let me put it to you like this. Decide to follow Jesus, lose your opinion. Decide to follow Jesus, lose your opinion. 
I'm going to get right up in your business. Jesus really doesn't care about your political opinions. Jesus really doesn't care about your opinion of world events. He doesn't really care about your opinion on the sermon. Thanks be to God. He doesn't really care about your opinion about the music. Your opinion does not matter. This is why you should come to this service, because I think of things to say that I didn't think of in the other services. And you're going to, maybe you're going to wish you went to the other service, but I'm, I just, if I could beat anything into you with a stick today, it would be this. Lose your opinion. Instead, start asking Jesus, what do you want? Jesus, whatever you want, who do you want me to vote for? It might surprise you. How do you want me to spend my money? It might surprise you. Oh, Jesus, what, what, do you, what do you want me to do about things that I don't like at church? might surprise you. You see, we actually know what Jesus wants. He wants us to go, make disciples, teach them everything he's taught us, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. How are we doing? You know, I, I remember, um, we were in a meeting several years ago. There were eight of us in the meeting We've been meeting for two hours. Let me just tell you, once you've got a meeting that goes longer than about an hour and a half, nothing good's going to happen. Okay, and this is just pure digression. If you're married and the argument has gone past an hour, nothing good's going to happen. Okay, just free advice. So we're in this meeting and we're, we're debating this decision. And somebody in the meeting finally says, have we really prayed about this enough? And so we stop the meeting and we start to pray. And we all pray around the table and the tone of the meeting changed instantly. The discussion changed and the decision we made changed. And frankly, it was not the decision I went in there thinking we should make. It's because we actually stopped and asked Jesus, what do you want? Delmar told me this story about Pacala, about a lady there who told him, said, I just don't care much for this contemporary music. But I notice those teenagers who sit in the front, they like it. And if they like it and it helps them follow Jesus, I'm all for it. I'm going to sing those songs every day. Yes. Now, here's the big idea is Jesus is in charge. It's his church, not ours. So what? So what? Well, Jesus is more than a baby. He is the supreme authority for his people. So if you're part of Alice Drive, I want you to know we take this seriously. We want what Jesus wants. We, we seek, we strive to make sure that every decision reflects his will, his purpose. And I just want to remind you this. If we are part of this church body, Jesus is the one in charge. So we're the body of Christ Jesus is in charge. We're the body of Christ. Jesus is in charge. Can you say that with me? Okay? And I want you to say it like you've already had your coffee and it's got caffeine. Let's go. Ready? We're the body of Christ and Jesus is in charge. You don't sound happy about it. Let's try this one more time. We're the body of Christ and Jesus is in charge. Boy, isn't that a relief? It means I'm not responsible. For the universe, all I have to do is what Jesus tells me to do. Oh, what would happen if churches were like that?
Now, I want you to understand that means we surrender our opinions. Next week, if Jesus reveals to us that we need to quit singing contemporary music, lose the guitars, lose the piano, lose the organ, and we need to sing Gregorian chants, a cappella, and we all need to shave our heads, what are we going to do? Now listen, y'all just said Jesus was in charge here. That means, folks, we're going to lose it all and we're going to have razors available for those of you who don't have a head start. <laughs> because he's in charge. All right, now I need to talk to people uh, who may be in the room and maybe watching online who have bought into an old thought that's wrong. What's the old thought? I want to follow Jesus without the church. You've heard that? You don't have to be a Christian. You don't have to go to church and, to be a Christian. I've heard that. And I get that. I, I get that. You know, it's like, it's, it's sort of that idea. I'm tired of church people. I'm tired of all the conflict they bring. But here's what I want you to know. Jesus doesn't think that way. Nowhere in the New Testament, nowhere in the Bible is there ever given a hint that you can actually follow Jesus and not be part of a church family, a church body. And I realize that creates a tension for you. And you can say, well, I don't agree with you, Pastor Clay. Please understand, it's not me you're disagreeing with. <laughs> it's Jesus. And if you're really going to follow Jesus, you need to find a church body that works for you. A place where you can receive good teaching, where you can know Jesus deeper, where you can know community, make some friends, grow your character, and go and serve. Now, I want to tell you, Maybe you're here in the room, or maybe you're watching online. Let me be frank. Alice Drive may not be the place for you. We are not a church. We'd like to, we are a church for everybody, but, but, you know, you just may say, I just can't stand the preaching. I just can't stand the music. Fine. fine. Go find the right place. Jesus has put it on you to figure it out. There are 200 churches in Sumter County. I think one of them might be right for you. And if you're looking for the perfect church, I've got news for you. You go into the perfect church with the perfect pastor, you won't fit. Because you're not perfect. And besides, that church and that pastor doesn't exist. You, you realize this, right? Every pastor, every pastor in every church in this town is flawed. Every pastor in every church in the world is flawed. I'm flawed. Thank you for not saying amen there. I appreciate that. <laughs> church is part of following Jesus. Now, maybe the best choice for you right now is online. I get that. Good for you. But get all the way in. Don't just say, well, I'm just going to watch. Hey, if you're part of this church family, you're watching online, make an effort to give. Get in an online group. You need to belong. If you're not a believer, we've spoken a lot about church right now, right? Because that's really what this, this verse is about. And, and maybe you're saying, well, this is all about church. What's it have to do with me? I hope at your core there is something that says, you know, if there really was a group of people that loved each other, like Jesus loved them, that loved their neighbor, that loved their enemy, if there really was a group of people that wanted something 
for me, not something from me. If there really was a group of people who lived without fear and who lived in hope, I'd like to be part of something like that. Wouldn't we all? Wouldn't we all? Don't let the failure of people prevent you from finding the perfection of Jesus. And I want to encourage you to embrace Jesus as Savior, ask him to forgive your sins, commit your life into his hands, make a commitment to follow him. You won't do it perfectly. It'll be a zigzag, but you can start. And then find the healthiest church you can and join other of us who are so imperfect on the journey with our perfect Savior. So this Christmas, this Christmas, as you think about Jesus the baby, I want you to remember he is the supreme. He is the one in charge. This is his church. It's not ours. He calls the shots, not us. So let's all ask him what you want. What do you want, Jesus? And when he says what he wants, let our answer be yes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus, who is the supreme, who is in charge. Forgive us when we've not always followed, but God, help us remember that today. And, and I want to pray for those of us who are part of this church. Help us always remember that Jesus is the one in charge. I pray for people who bought into that wrong and false teaching that you can follow Jesus without the church. I pray, God, today you'd, you'd really get a hold of them and help them move into the tension and make a decision to be part of a church body. I pray, Father, for people who've never decided for Jesus today to let them open their life to Jesus Christ and say yes to him and follow him. And I ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.